Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful this morning to be here and to pray and to sing, to worship, to praise, to hear from your word, to encounter your spirit, and to offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices. So our Father, this morning we praise you because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there are no other gods before him, O God. He is the one who we love and we worship and we honor and we are grateful, O God, that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. We are grateful, O God, that to those who believe in you and receive eternal life and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And in receiving the Holy Spirit of God, there is the power of God that moves in and takes residence in our lives to empower us to live the Christian life and to be effective in that living so that eternal things are accomplished in the people around us that come under our influence. So I pray this morning, O oh God, as we spend time in your word, in particular with respect to the matter of spiritual giftedness, the grace of your kindness and power in our lives, we pray, O oh God, that we would be uh, vessels that are suitable for you to accomplish amazing things through. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Anybody here like superhero movies? There's a murmur. Nah. The millennials are like, yes, we do. Well, I haven't seen many superhero movies for a long time because I don't really like modern superhero stuff. I'm, I'm ancient. I go back to the 60s. That was when superheroes were superheroes. You're talking about the Cape Crusader, for instance. Batman. Who do you like, Batman or Superman? Superman? Batman? That's about an even split. It was this morning, too. I personally like Batman. There's a reason for that. I like his costume. I think it's better than Superman's. I mean, Superman, he wears that little thin thing over his eyes. You can tell the guy is Clark Kent, I mean, from a mile away. But Batman, you can't tell he's, he's uh, Bruce Wayne, because he's got that, that great face mask, and I just, I just like the Batman thing. But, but back in my day, when, when uh, back to comic books, all that kind of stuff, you probably haven't even seen a comic book, some of you guys, back to those days... Um, there was a basic storyline. You had people who had superpowers, and they were either heroes or they were villains. Yes? I know that's similar today, but, but the, the hero-villain thing was how it played out, and it was, basic, it was based fundamentally not upon the power, but upon the character of the person who had the power. So if you were of good character and you had superpowers, you cared about the public interest. You were a servant of the people. You tried to save people and help people. But if you were a villain, you were all about yourself. 
You're using the superpowers for evil things and wicked things and, and, and just to, to better yourself. In many ways, the superhero, superpower, villain, superpower stuff is a metaphor for the theology of spiritual gifts. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And what comes along with that indwelling Holy Spirit is the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead takes in uh, residence, takes residence in our lives. And um, I know this morning that you came, if you knew we were talking about spiritual gifts, you were thinking, I hope Rick tells me, teaches me what my spiritual gift is this morning. I'm going to disappoint you. I can't do that in 30 or 35 minutes. This is not possible. But what I can do is, is help you to understand the, the boundaries and the guardrails and the train rails in which you ought to operate so that the spiritual giftedness that God has given to you can be useful to God as opposed to not useful to Him. Uh, what I can do is help you in the in, your, in the quest to understand your spiritual gifts is to be certain that you know what God has taught us in his word about how we ought to handle the superpower that God has given us through the Holy Spirit of God. We're not going to get there immediately, but you might want to put your, your uh, finger in Romans chapter 12. We'll get there soon, and we'll also get eventually to 1 Corinthians 13, those two places. You might want to look up. But I just want to say that um, spiritual gifts are, are somewhat um, um, at times confusing or, or uh, a challenge for us to understand what exactly it really means. But um, I think a, a good definition that I jotted down uh, is that each believer is given some way of showing off the Spirit's power for the common good of the church. Each believer is given some way of showing off the Spirit's power for the common good of the church. And theologically, we call this spiritual gifts. Now, um, before we really go into it very deeply this morning, I, I, as I said to you, I want I wanted to do some ground training with you on how to handle this superpower that God has given to us. We have all kinds of power, you know, as believers, all kinds of power resident in us. In, in fact, universe-shifting power. This is not a small thing that God has given to us. And so we want to look at, at how our, our abilities become spiritually abled today. Who should handle superpowers? How should superpowers be handled? Because we want to be excellent handlers of the power of God that has been given to us. And each time that, when the Apostle Paul deals with the theology of spiritual gifts, he lays down some train tracks of how we should exercise these gifts. Before he before he talks about the specifics, or before he deals so much with the specifics, he talks about the general principle of how we are to, how we are to handle this. And, and, and let's understand that what we are talking about here, what we have in Christ, is not our call anyway. 
These are, this is a gift that is given to us by God. It's, it's not something that we manufacture ourselves, And, and it's, it's an act of God's grace. I, I've said this to you, I think, last week. You are who you are by the grace of God. You have what you have by the grace of God. You are where you are by the grace of God. You are and have and are positioned exactly where God wants you to be, exactly in the church family that God wants you to be, belong to and making the contribution that God exactly wants you to make. This is a gift of God to you, to each of us. And the discipleship essential that we are seeking to look at is, is um, making sure, certain that we have the right heart approach to this stewardship of great superpower that God has given to us to make sure that we're useful to Him. Maybe you've never examined the guardrails that the Apostle Paul has written for us in the Scriptures. Maybe you've never had a chance to look at the tra train rails within which we are to travel. But I want to do that today in the time that we have. Rather than... Um, spend time looking at specific giftedness, I want to make some general statements that I hope are helpful to you. But in particular, I think it's really critical for us to understand how to handle what God has given to us. And there's two things, just two things I want to share with you today that will help us. Two guardrails, two train rails that we should run on. And this is why discipleship is so critical in exercising our spiritual gifts. We need to know how to establish these and we need to understand what God wants for us. The problem is that, that there has been a lot of fleshly exercise of spiritual gifts throughout the history of the church, beginning with when the Apostle Paul even wrote about it to the Corinthian church. From the very inception of the church, there has been problems with God's people in the exercise of their spiritual giftedness. And the problems are because we don't stay within the guardrails and on the train rails. There's a certain thrill of wielding the power of God in our lives and, and the grand displays of God's power. And it has caused some people to actually alter the truth, alter theology and mislead people, mislead millions of people. Because they want to barge through and get, let's get right to the gifts and forget about the guardrails, forget about the boundaries, forget about the train rails that theologically we're to run, run on. Tearing down the church, ripping the church apart, elevating some gifts over others and discouraging people, discouraging people's faith. What is the fundamental role of the stewardship of God's power in our lives? In other words, what is the function of spiritual gifts? The function is the building up of the church. Not personal aggrandizement, not, not somehow satisfying myself or working on my own skills, not somehow finding a way to make myself feel like I belong some way. It's all about building up the church, all about building up others. I just want to give you a couple of introductory summary thoughts concerning uh, the whole matter of the, our giftedness. 
Because there's a lot of confusion about this. There's, in, in, in the text that we read, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, um, Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians, there's all kinds of, of discussions about giftedness and specific gifts. I want to suggest to you that the listing of the gifts in the scriptures are not exhaustive. This is not all that happens in the church. And, and, and the, the, it's important that we, I think that we understand that, that gifts actually overlap. You know, you can read in, in the Romans 12, if you're there, you can see that there's, it mentions here that there's gifts of prophecy, there's gifts of, of uh, teaching, of serving, of encouraging, generosity, leadership, and on it goes. And you can find other things. But I, I want to suggest to you that, that um, it is unhelpful for us to necessarily try and pigeonhole our lives into one of these things and say, this is my gift exactly. This is exactly what I contribute to the kingdom of God. And I'll say that because I really, as I've studied this and understand it and see the, the, the different uh, descriptions and the fact that it's not exhaustive, I, I would suggest to you that spiritual gifts are a lot like our DNA or our fingerprints. We are a mixture. Each one of us are a mixture of of gifts, giftedness and gifts, and, and, and we, are, we are different proportions of the things that we read plus other things. And, and so it's, it, I think it's really important that we, that we understand that, um, that, that you, may be, you may have a gift of teaching, but you may also have a, a, a fairly strong serving, or you may be somewhat generous, and, and, and it, it, the combination is different for everyone. We are made exactly the way God wants us to be to contribute exactly what God wants us to contribute. And, and so I, I think it does us no service to try and narrow it down to exactly, although we can probably come to some sort of conclusion as to where God uses us most and what these descriptions God seems to strengthen most. But it's not easily and not rigidly determined, I don't think. We are all supposed to do what some do exceptionally well. Second thing is that gifts aren't a salvation surprise, I don't think. I, I've really come to the conclusion over the years that our giftedness is the natural abilities that God has given to us, natural abilities and talents and all of that, energized by the Spirit of God. I know miraculously we can be, I can be proven wrong, but... Right, it, it, it's, it's very unusual if it doesn't exist at all that, that somehow before salvation you were a, a, a mumbling fool and after salvation you became the greatest orator ever existed in the world. Generally what happens is, is that God uses the way he has shaped us and the way he has made us and now that we receive the Holy Spirit, we have received the power of God to actually energize the things that we used to do for ourselves, to energize them now to accomplish great things in the kingdom of God on behalf of others. Keep in mind here that, that the phrase spiritual gifts is, is really a construct that we've made ourselves. It's not exactly a translation from the scriptures. The, the word, the, the, the original word for, for grace, which is a which is the undeserved favor of God, is charis, charis. The word that is translated for spiritual gifts in the scriptures is charisma. 
That's where we get the term charismatic or charisma. Anybody got any charisma in here this morning? You all do, you know. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you could all put your hand up and say, I got me some charisma. But really what you're talking about is grace. The, the word grace is expanded into uh, an effect in our lives. So we are really gracements. You have received gracements of God, which are, by the way, undeserved this is the undeserved favor of God toward you to accomplish great things in his name. That's what happens. That's what continues to be nurtured and built up in our lives. And, and the, the final summary statement I'd make is your gift is what all Christians are supposed to do, but you especially find your joy there and see God particularly bless other people through you. Let me read that to you again. Your gift is what all Christians are supposed to do, but you especially find your joy there and see God particularly bless other people through you. Okay, so let's, let's set up the guardrails that the Apostle Paul has and the train rails. As I said, there are two. We're going to get one from Romans 12. We're going to get another one from 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to notice in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now look at he's setting up his theology of spiritual giftedness. We usually only take these two verses and stop. There is a context, there is a way of living that sets you up to be a to be excellent at the exercise of your spiritual giftedness or your gracements, your charisma. This is what it is. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind How's that? Through God's word. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, Paul, I say to every one of you, us, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. He has the visions of, first, he has the, visions of the Corinthian church dancing in his head. Because the church... Through history, as I said to you, has abused spiritual gifts, thinking, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm special. Look at what I can do in the church. He's saying, no, no, this, this is a gift of God to you. You didn't do this yourself. This isn't of you. You can't boast about this. You can't take credit for this. This is the power of God working in your life, that we ought not to think higher than we ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. The first guardrail, the first train rail that spiritual gifts work, run on is this matter of faith. Faith. It's a key phrase here. Help, it helps to unravel some of the mystery and some of the frustration and some of the striving. Because after all, being gifted is not a church reality alone. The world is full of gifted people. Every time you turn on the television or you go to a movie or whatever you do, you go to a sporting event, 
or anybody you work with or anybody you see do something. The world is full of gifted people. Humans are gifted. Humans are able. Humans are talented. Humans can do amazing things because of the, the greatness of God in the image of God. But, but it's, it's the, the reality of when our abilities and talents become spiritual has everything to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. The difference between um, someone who is naturally gifted and someone who is spiritually gifted is their relationship with Jesus Christ. He's pointing out here that the gift deal is all about our faith in Christ. It's a faith issue. So you're gifted spiritually if you belong to Jesus Christ, a believer in other words. However, it is further possible to be spiritually gifted because of the grace of salvation but not to be spiritually effective. And the reason, the reason that we might not be spiritually effective is because we are not, by faith, trusting and relying in the living God as we seek to try and exercise our spiritual giftedness. So this is why he uses the word, the measure of your faith. He says, think about this with sober judgment. Forget about thinking highly of yourself, that you're somehow special. You better, think, you better understand the fact, the only reason that you're able to do this is because you've come to faith in Christ. But I want you, he says, I want you to think of sober, in, sober, in a sober judgment way about the measure of your faith that God has given to you. How are you exercising your faith in Christ? The spiritual gift effectiveness is determined by the degree to which flesh gives way to faith in Christ. The effectiveness of our spiritual giftedness is directly connected to the trust and reliance on Christ fully to work through us. Otherwise, we fall flat, flat in our face. And the reason the Corinthian church was having so much struggle in their giftedness, they weren't really trusting in Christ. They were trusting in their flesh. And this is where Christians regularly get off the rails. They say, well, how come, you know, I don't, I don't see much production going on in my life. I, I don't really see things happening. I don't really see God's work occurring around me. Well, Maybe because you're not relying on Christ, you're relying more on yourself. He says this again, actually, in verse um, 7 or 6. We have different gifts. He says, according to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his what? Faith. Faith is the critical root to the effectiveness of of our giftedness. You don't have gifts without you don't have spiritual gifts without faith. You aren't effective without faith. I mean, take last Sunday for instance. Glorious day here. What happened? People prayed. Lots of prayer. Before the service, a room full of people praying. You were praying. 
we exercised our faith, trusting and relying on Christ to accomplish his word to us. Believing that the truth cradled in the grace of God would be effective. Leaving room, leaving space in the service, believing that God was going to act. Otherwise, last Sunday would have just been a lecture on ecclesiology. That's the difference. It's about the exercising of our full trust and reliance on Christ alone and not on ourselves, not on our own giftedness, not on our own savvy, not on our own abilities, but on Christ. So the first guardrail is, is our faith, your faith, how much you're trusting in Christ for effectiveness. If you want to flip over a few pages to 1 Corinthians, you will discover there the second, the second guardrail that he sets up, the train rail. By the way, the Corinthian church, which we're looking at right now, and Paul was writing in the, in the Romans scripture text, Paul was writing to the Corinthians from Rome, so there's no question that the Romans letter also has echoes and ideas from his Corinthian thinking. And he wasn't thinking very highly of the Corinth church. They were a huge struggle for him. He loved them. He loved them. Don't get me wrong. He loved them. But they were a huge struggle for him. They were the most gifted church. They were charisma all over the place. But the problem was that in their giftedness, they were a mess. In fact, if you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17, he says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Imagine that. Can you imagine that the Lord, I mean, this is God's word. Can you imagine that the Lord would say, you know, it'd be better, Calvary, if you didn't get together. Because your gatherings cause more harm in people's life than good. It's the opposite of what spiritual gifts are supposed to do. Spiritual gifts, charisma, is supposed to build up the church, not harm the church. Why were they harming the church? Paul gives us a really, really strong idea in what he inserts between chapter 12 and chapter 14. It almost seems like an out-of-context statement. He's talking about gifts, gifts, gifts for, for all kinds of verses of gifts, gifts, gifts. Then in, in chapter 14, all kinds of gifts. And then in the middle, he plunks this right dab smack in the middle. He plunks this chapter on love. And what do we do with it? We rip it out of context and put it in every wedding. This is not a wedding text, although it, it works nicely in a wedding. I'll give you that. It's certainly not the primary application. So don't get, you know, I, I know I've used this, we've done this in weddings and all of this, but this is, this is contextually right in the middle of gift teaching. What's the problem here? The Corinthians, by the way, although they were super gifted, were showing favoritism to each other. They had all kinds of pride going on. They were disrespecting their teachers, in particular Paul. They had sex uh, going on that was a mess, incest, selfishness, 
and they loved the gift of tongues. It was the be all and end all to them. Blah, 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 blah. Loved it. This is the gift. And if you don't have this gift, you're a nobody. Paul had to write them on this. By the way, it's not a new problem. Or it's not an old problem only, I should say. We still have these excesses around us. And basically, Paul is saying to them, your lack of love is killing your Christian credibility. The lack of love makes the gift unrecognizable. He writes here, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Your gift is unrecognizable. It's drowned out by the sounds of one's own significance. In fact, here's what the exercise, Paul says, here's what the exercise of your giftedness actually sounds like. Now, let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Let me, let me show you how you can become a believer, how you can become a Christian. Nobody likes Noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. Did you hear one tiny thing I said about the glories of Christ while that was going on? I was trying to get the message of the gospel across to you, but you weren't hearing it. Because if I'm exercising my giftedness without loving you, that's what I sound like. That's what we sound like. That's what the Corinthian church sounded like, he said. And by the way, gongs, he said the irony of this is that this is what they use in the pagan worship system. You're sounding more like the enemy than you sound like Jesus. Super giftedness can result in overconfidence in our own flesh. That's what was happening here. And it's easy to allow it to happen to your life. Because when God enables you and strengthens you and gives you spiritual strength and power, some days you forget that it came from God. And you might get the idea that, hey, you know what? I got this thing pretty well down cold. I, I pretty much know what I'm doing. Pretty good at this. I, I don't need you. I'm, I don't really need to rely on Jesus today. And, and quite honestly... I'm God's gift to these people. I don't really love them that much. I'll just tell them and show them how glorious I am. Man, God is going to take you down. You're going to be of no use to God. Faith and love. The guardrails the train rails that this has to work on. Be careful. You or I may be lacking in the most obvious evidence of the Spirit, and that's loving one another. Your gift, remember, is, great, is of grace and not of love. And your gift's only function is to be given away for the benefit of another. So there should be no wrangling, no competition. It's not to prop you up or make you feel better about yourself. Or that somehow having a particular gift makes you superior over your brother or your sister. 
No. We are all placed in the body of Christ on purpose, exactly the way God wants us to be, and important to each other. We contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. If you make your gifts superior to other gifts then, and, and treat people badly over it, that is spiritual abuse. And I know some people have been rescued from that, perhaps even in here this morning. He wraps up chapter 3 by saying, and now verse 13, and, uh, chapter 13, verse 13 by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he said to me, wait a second, I thought there were two guardrails and I thought faith was pretty important. All of a sudden, Paul is saying, love is the most important. What, what, what is he, he says the greatest. What does he mean by the greatest? Think about this. When Christ comes again, our faith becomes sight. We don't need any more faith. When Christ comes again, our hope is realized. We don't need a hope anymore. We have what we've hoped for. But when Christ comes again, we will see him as he is. And we will love him with all of our hearts. And we are to love him for all eternity. And we are to love one another for all eternity. So faith and hope and love. The greatest of these is love. Faith for now is critical. Trusting in God. Trusting in who we cannot see. Hoping for what we have not yet realized. But in this hour and every hour yet to come, loving each other as Christ has loved us. That's how gifts function. He says in chapter 14, verse 12, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, would you please excel at what builds up the church? Do what builds up the church and spiritual gifts will find you. I have discovered in my own life that I need to put more energy into growing my life in Christ than I do in seeking to discover my value to Christ, if that makes any sense to you. Because I know a lot of us were like, oh, I wish I could find out what I, what I could do. I wish I could find out my sweet spot for God. What, what, is, my, what is my gift? What, what do I do? I, I would encourage you to spend more time, as Paul said to Romans, being living sacrifices, offering yourself to God, getting involved in whatever he calls you to do, serving in whatever way you can, building, allowing him to build you up in the faith rather than striving to discover what is my contribution. And I sit in the chair saying, I wish I could figure out this Sunday what my contribution is. And we come back and sit again. I wish I could figure out this week what my contribution is. Present yourself to God as living sacrifices. And I assure you, your gifts will find you. Christ will find you. I, I, I shared with the first service an example in my own life. Um, 1980, I just married Lynn, my, my life's sweetheart. 
And um, the guy who I used to work, who was my boss, uh, and I wasn't working at a church, I was working in a finance company, and the guy who was my boss happened to be also the Sunday school superintendent of our church. And he said to me, now that you're married, it is time for you to do something significant in the church. So start serving in some significant way. And I said, well, what are you thinking? He said, I want you to teach junior high Sunday school. I'm like, I don't even like those little creeps, let alone teach them. <laughs> You're going to teach junior high Sunday school. I said, well, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know how to teach. I couldn't do that. And it, it, it almost seemed like this was um, abuse on the workplace because he was exerting his power as my boss. I mean, what could I say to the guy? So I finally said, yes. I can tell you that I didn't, I didn't walk in and say, hey, guess what? I, I know I have the gift of teaching, so I, I'm God's gift to teaching the junior high class. No, I went in with, what? I'll, okay, Jesus wants me to serve, I'll serve. I started to teach them and realized in the teaching of them that God was actually able to use me in teaching. And I can tell you now that there's, it's unlikely that I would be your pastor if I hadn't have just simply said to the Lord, yes, whatever, I don't know what my gift is, but I'll do it. Now, some of you may be, well, I wish you had said no back then. We would have been, <laughs> would have been better off now for us. But, but here, here I discovered that, that the gifts actually discovered me. Jesus actually came for me. And I exercised the gift. Now, I can tell you right now, I love junior high kids. In fact, that's, that, that's my favorite group to teach. I think they're just fantastic. They're still too... Oh, are they up there, the junior hires? Here's the thing. They're, they're, just, they're, they're young enough to be still keen, and they, they, they're thankful for what you do for them, and they haven't got to the age yet where they're like this. At least back in my day, they hadn't. I love teaching junior high. They're great kids. You present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Say yes to Jesus. He'll come looking for you. And he'll show you how you best fit in the church for his glory. Our Father and our God, we praise you and we thank you. We love you. We thank you that you would even consider using us to build the church, but you do. Each one of us are key church builders in your plan. And I pray, oh God, that, that the, the people here in this congregation will just take, take up the mantle of being living sacrifices, saying yes to you, serving you, finding out what works, what, what maybe isn't their strength, and then continue to find until you help their gifts to find them. And in that way, Lord, may we build the church that you have called us to love and to serve. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Amen. Dwight L. Moody, a famous pastor, pastored in Chicago in a past generation, founder of Moody Bible Institute, wrote this. Moses spent 40 years 
thinking he was a somebody. 40 years learning he was a nobody. And 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. You know, when we think of spiritual giftedness and what God does in our lives, I hope you've moved out of the place where you think you're a somebody. I hope you're to the place in your life where you're learning that you're a nobody, but in particular, that you're learning and discovering the amazing things that God can do with a nobody. We're just a bunch of nobodies, charismaed up by the power of God's Spirit, enabled to accomplish great things in His name and bring glory to Him alone because it's all of grace. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love for us and your gifts to us of the Holy Spirit who enables us to, and empowers us to build the church of Jesus Christ for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.